The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Would and open them to Ephesians chapter 6. We've had just a wonderful privilege these past seven years to study the life of Christ from the book of Matthew. There aren't any thoughts that can occupy our minds that are greater than Him. A few months ago, I preached a sermon from Philippians 4, verse number 8, in which the Apostle Paul said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And I explained that thinking on all of those good things that the Apostle Paul mentions in that verse is the same as thinking on Christ, because he is all of these good things, everything that's holy and good. Well, today we turn our attention away from all that is holy and good to speak of one who is everything but holy and good, as Jesus is the embodiment of all things that are virtuous, of righteousness, so Satan is the embodiment of all ungodliness and evil. And it might seem strange for me to say this, or strange at first, but we have to respect the devil for who he is. Uh, We have to respect his ability and his power to underestimate him is a very serious mistake. The devil likes nothing more than for us to think that he's not real, that he's not a threat to us, that he is not to be feared. And he wants us to believe that he can be trifled with and that we can't really, we really don't have to worry about him, that we can handle him with no problem. Now, although... I mention Satan and his power quite often as we preach sermons. It's rare that we would devote an entire sermon to talking about the devil. Uh, I remember one time a preacher said that he would never give the devil an entire sermon, uh, preach an entire sermon about him because he simply was not worth it. But I would disagree with him because the best strategy against our enemy is to know him, to know the way that he works, Uh, He knows us all too well, and so that gives him a great advantage over us. So I suppose that that preacher would not like what I'm doing. I've preached already one message about the devil. We got one today, and we have several more to come. But the Bible talks about Satan, the great enemy. Who is he, and why is he so much trouble for God's people? Well, Paul warns us about him in this text. In verse number 10, Ephesians 6, verse number 10, Finally... My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And let's read verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, Paul says to take on the whole armor of God, that ye might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
Well, Satan is such a powerful being that it takes everything that God has put at our disposal to defeat him. And we're in the fight of our lives. This is a fight that is relentless. It is warfare from the first day that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a fight that's going to be with you until you take your last breath. Satan is there morning, noon, and night. He is even able to affect your dreams. You are influenced by Satan. And so, yes, you very much do need to respect him, and we had better give him his due, or we'll pay for that mistake, and we'll be taken captive by him. Now, in this text, as in many others, Paul has given him his due, and so he warns us about him. Last week, uh, we noted that Satan is powerful enough that he even tempted the Lord Jesus. Satan's power is not approach, doesn't approach the power of God, but nevertheless, he wasn't afraid to tempt God. Jesus Christ is God. He wasn't afraid to tempt Him. And if He's not afraid to tempt God, you can be sure that He's not afraid to test His wiles on you. And so we might ask then, where did Satan come from? Where did he come by such power? And that's a question that we looked at in the last message as we discussed Satan's origin. That he is the embodiment of evil... But evil and Satan are not the same thing. Satan is not a force. He's not an influence. He is a person. And he's a person as much as you and I are persons and as much as the Lord Jesus Christ himself is a person. He doesn't have a physical body. He is a spirit. And you won't see him with a physical eye, although we do believe, like all angels, he is able from time to time to manifest himself in a physical form. And you might be well convinced that you've already seen him a time or two. He might be your boss at work, you think. Or he might be your mother-in-law, and you think that you've seen the devil. But, but normally, Satan remains a spirit. He doesn't show himself, but that doesn't mean that he's not a person. But we also ought not to mistake this, that, and we ought to give him his due on this, uh, though we, we ought not to think that he is exactly like God, that he is an eternal person, because he's not. God has no beginning, and God will have no ending. He just is. God is. God is forever. God is the great I Am, but Satan is not. Satan had a beginning. He's not an eternal being. And since God created all things, that means that Satan was created by God. Satan was created by God. But he wasn't created as Satan. Satan is not his name, actually. Satan is just a description of, who he, of what he does. Satan means adversary. Satan, Satan means an opposer. And he is an adversary. He is God's nemesis. But when God created him, he was not an adversary. He was an ally. He was created to glorify and to exalt God as all of God's creatures were. God has never created anything that was opposed to him. His real name is Lucifer, which is a name that also has meaning. And that name Lucifer now has become synonymous with things that are evil. But there's actually nothing in that name that indicates evil. Nobody will name their child Lucifer today, just as no one names a child Judas. But that doesn't mean there's anything evil in those names. Now, those names aren't evil. They were just taken by the persons who had them and turned into evil. Judas, just a name that, or Judas rather, is a name that means praise. And Lucifer is a name that means a morning star, or the day star, or the light bearer. So there isn't anything in the name to indicate that Lucifer was evil. That name Lucifer only appears one time in the Scripture, because after that it's no longer needed, because it no longer describes him. 
Now he's evil. Now he's not the morning star. Now, now he's not full of brightness and glory. He's everything that is the embodiment of evil. And so you don't need the name Lucifer any longer. And so that's why we call him Satan. Isaiah wrote, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And that's the way that God created him. He created him as a son of the morning, a morning star, a shining example of beauty that brings to mind hope, and it represents a picture of who God is. It's like the day dawning. It's like a bright star that that outshines the sun as it comes up on the horizon. That's what Lucifer was. He was the bright morning star. God created him in wisdom and gave him beauty. He was adorned as the most exquisite of all of God's creatures. God even appointed him as one of his chief angels, if not the chief angel in heaven. The Scripture says that he is the anointed, or he was the anointed cherub. And cherubs are the highest order of angels. And Satan, or Lucifer, was anointed as one of those cherubs, or was the anointed cherub. He's one who guarded the holiness of God. As I spoke last week, the cherubs are responsible or they're always associated with the throne of God. And this is where Lucifer was. He was close to God. And I think probably right there in the throne room where he reflected the beauty and the holiness of God himself. And so, no, God did not create him as an evil being. He was created holy and good. And he was wondrously made. And he was given wisdom. How then did he become Satan? How did he become an adversary, the enemy of God? Well, that happened because he defected from God. Pride was in his heart. He wanted to be God. He saw his power and his beauty and he was enamored with what he was and he thought that he was higher than all of the other angels and he saw what he was and he wanted an opportunity to assert himself so that he himself could become God. Isaiah also says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And so Lucifer rebelled, and his quest today is the same as it ever was. He wants to take God's throne. He fights against God, and he fights against God's people, and he believes that one day he will actually reign. He believes that one day all things in heaven and earth are going to bow to him. You see, Satan is a great counterfeiter. That's what Jesus says about himself. He says, I have all power and authority in heaven and in earth. And Satan says, no, I want that power. I will assume that power. And his, his plan is to change God's decree and have it all for himself. And he is convinced that he can win. Now, this is what Satan did. In his rebellion, he convinced one-third of heaven's angels to join him. And those angels became his helpers. They are fallen angels. And those fallen angels that help him are the ones that give us fits every day. They're the ones that are always after us. In the New Testament, they are called, at least in the King James Version, they're called devils, but they are actually demons, which are fallen angels. Now, let me pause right there for just a moment. I know as I look over this congregation today that most of you claim that you are Christians. That means that you are followers of Christ. But in this struggle for good and evil, you're often found fighting on the wrong side. How much of the time you surrender to Satan and you're under his control and thus you, in effect, are an enemy of God. 
Now, it certainly seems strange, and it is sad to think that people who have been saved by the grace of God would live lives that betray the Savior who saved them. Christians often become Satan's best allies, and that's because they're on the inside. They're on the inside of what's going on, and they can do a lot of damage from the inside, and that happens so many times in God's church when there are people that say that they're Christians, uh, they know Christ, but then they turn against the Lord by working on the inside to destroy God's work. Every time that you give in to a temptation, you're helping Satan's objectives. Every time that you sin and you give a bad testimony before someone else, you're turning other people towards evil. You see, the Bible teaches we're not an island. You're not out here by yourself. It's not as if you don't have influence on people because you do. There are people that are watching you and you are often found fighting Satan's battles for him. And I do hope that you understand this, that sin in your life is not benign. Sin is never inconsequential. It hurts you and it hurts others that are around you. And whenever you switch sides, you are found to be fighting against God. And I can tell you that you have no excuse for doing that. You have no excuse for sin. And it's no wonder that there are so many Christians that are just discontent. They're very unhappy because instead of fighting for God, they're fighting against Him. Now you'll notice that this is what... Uh, Paul warns us about, he calls Satan's devices his wiles. He has many avenues of attack, and he's so good that he can get Christians to turn to the dark side. He can get people, Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, to forsake the living God, to leave the glory of the light, and come over to his side and live in the darkness. Paul says that's warfare. That's what we're fighting against. And Christians are often found to be deserters. Now, none of us wants to be found fighting against God, and I surely hope that you don't. But know this, that Satan is powerful enough to make that happen. And if you don't guard yourself, it will happen, because it happens right here in church when we're preaching God's Word. Do you know that sometimes when I'm preaching from the pulpit, that there are people sitting out there, some of you, and maybe you're guilty, that you hate what's being said? That you don't like the doctrines that are being taught. You become divisive. You complain about it. Christians become angry at each other. And the church aisles can actually become a dividing line between feuding factions in the church. Sometimes church members are against the pastor and and, uh, in private. And sometimes in public they tear down the ministry. And did you know that Satan is able to make you think that you're even doing the right thing? He can make you think that you're doing a righteous thing when you talk about God's church and God's people and you are divisive in the church. And they say, and Satan makes you think that's the right thing to do because you're trying to correct things. You're not trying to correct things. You're doing Satan's work. And you need to guard against that. Now, you're fighting then against the righteousness of God. So, friends, don't be a defector. That's what Lucifer was. And so he became an adversary of God. Now, we covered those two points last week, so we're going to move on today. And I want to talk to you about what happened when Lucifer defected. The third thing is that he was rejected by God. He was created by God, he defected from God, and then thirdly, he was rejected by God. Lucifer was that anointed cherub. He was an exalted angel, exalted to magnify God. He was an angel of authority. But when he made that move against God, he was rejected and God took away his position and his authority and he was kicked out. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 tell us that in two places. There in two places of Scripture they describe how 
this happened. They described the scene. And I want you to listen to what Lucifer said and then what God said. Lucifer said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And God said, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Did you know that Lucifer couldn't have done what he did unless God allowed him to do it? That's very hard for us to understand. It's a very difficult concept for us. God could have put him into this at the very beginning. When Lucifer sinned against him, God could have destroyed him then. And often people wonder about things like that. And they wonder about, well, why doesn't God just save everybody? Because God could certainly do it if He wants. And He could have stopped Lucifer if He wanted. And we always struggle with those kinds of questions because they're simply too deep for us. We can't understand these things. The reason that God did this is found in His unsearchable wisdom. And all that I can tell you is that God must have allowed it because somehow He was going to work it out for His greater glory. There isn't anything that God does that He doesn't turn somehow into His glory. And sometimes we're just afraid to talk about this, to discuss it, because we're afraid of the objections. And we're afraid and we're worried that we're going to be unable to defend God's, God's honor. And so we've got this feeling that we've got to rescue God. We've got to come to His aid and build God in our image and make, him think, make people think that, that, that what we think that He is is what He should be. And we try to change God from what He is. But the truth is that God does what He wants. Maybe sometimes we don't want to let that secret out of the bag because we don't, how to, don't know how to answer the questions about it. But just remember this, that God does not need a depraved mind like yours to defend Him. He's not concerned with that, what you think. Or the way that you think that things ought to be done. Now, if people would stop sitting in judgment of God, it would clear up a lot of the confusion that we have. God just simply does what He wants to do. And the only place that you're going to find what He wants to do is in the Word of God. That's where He tells us what He wants to do and what you need to do and others need to do and perhaps I need to do. We need to stop being God. Stop trying to be God and not to be Lucifer either. So this is what God did. He just allowed... Lucifer to rebel, and that rebellion sealed his doom. So he was rejected by God, and he was rejected without any hope of recovery. God gave him no way back. Did you ever wonder about that? Why doesn't the devil just give up? I mean, the Bible clearly says that we have power against him through Jesus Christ. He is no match for our Lord. Why doesn't the devil just give up? And why doesn't the devil return to God and say, I'm sorry, take me back? Well, the reason that he doesn't is because God won't let him. God hasn't provided redemption for angels. None of those that defected from God are able to return to God because there is no plan for them but one. And that is eternal destruction in hell. Oh, but you need to be thankful that God has provided a way for you. You didn't deserve a way back to God any more than the devil did. There's no way back for fallen angels, but there is for you. Thank God for that. There is for you. And isn't that kind of strange? I mean, you think about these, these angels, how they were created and how they were once great in power and glory, how they were beautiful creatures in heaven, and then they fell, and God said, no way back. You can't come back. But man, man who is created out of the dirt, out of dirt of the, the, of the earth, out of the ground, fell and then God turned around and gave man the greatest gift that he could ever give. 
He gave His own Son. You didn't deserve Him any more than the devil did. You hated God, and yet He gave His own Son. Doesn't God work in mysterious ways? Some, some complain that God doesn't save all. It's apparent that God never intended to save all, or He would. Don't complain about that unless you think that you deserve to be saved. And don't complain about it unless you think that God should have given the devil a way to come back. But that's a marvelous thing about our salvation. We can't make our way back to God. We can't find the way because we're turned to evil. Our hearts do evil continually. And we will not come back to God unless God brings us back. God's the one that has to do that. And He does it through the power of the Holy Spirit who draws us to Him. Lucifer has no way back. He rejected God. Now his doom is sealed and his end is a burning lake of fire in eternal torture. Revelation 20 verse 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Oh, we need to pay attention to that. The end of Satan is eternal fire. And I think that we ought to stop for just a minute to consider not only Satan's origin, but also the origin of hell. Where did hell come from? Well, Jesus told us the source of hell in Matthew 25. If you turn there, please, in your Bibles, we need to take a look at this because it's extremely important. Hell is a place that must be strictly avoided, and we need to know why it must be avoided. And here in Matthew 25, Jesus gives us some instruction about hell. Now, in the 31st verse of the chapter, he's speaking of the end times. What is going to happen at the end? Well, verse 31 says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Now, the Son of Man, of course, is referring to Jesus Christ. He's coming in glory. And we notice here who comes with him. He will come with his holy angels. Now, these are angels that resisted Lucifer. These are the angels that stayed with God. They will come with him in a great display of power as they come from heaven. In verse number 32, Jesus said, And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them the one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He will separate the nations. That means out of the nations he's going to take those that are believers, and he's going to separate them. He'll divide them out and he will preserve them for eternity in heaven. This is what he says in verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The unbelieving will also be separated, and they'll be set aside for another place. That's in verse number 41. Then shall he also say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You can't mistake this. Jesus taught hell. Jesus preached about hell. These others are going to be taken and put into the lake of fire. Now, if you go back to verse number 30, you'll see how horrible that it is. He said, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Preachers don't preach on hell anymore, do they? When did you go to a church lately? Some other church that preached on hell, and yet Jesus preached on it frequently. Now, back in verse number 41 again, we look at the last phrase, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, 
prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. They are forever rejected by God and they will be sent to hell. Where did hell come from? God created it. He prepared it for those who rebel. This has made the place of punishment for Satan and his angels. That's the place where Satan is going. But what I want you to see about it right now is that Satan is not there. He's not there now. Satan has never been in hell. John Milton, in his epic poem, Paradise Lost, fostered the idea that Satan, Lucifer, is the controller, the owner of hell. That's his domain. But hell does not belong to Satan. Satan is not in charge of that place. And you all know the popular myth that Satan is down in hell with his red suit and his pointed tail, and he's got his pitchfork, and he shovels the coal into the fires of eternal torment, and he keeps the flames going. Oh, folks, Satan is not in hell. Hell is God's invention, and hell is God's domain. Sometimes we call it a devil's hell, but that's not because he owns it and not because he's in control of it, because that's the place where God is going to wring out punishment from him. It's his hell because God prepared it for him. Now, pay attention here, though, that there are some people who read Matthew 25:41, and they see here that, that uh, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, and so they will say that God never intended that any men should be there. And they say that because they're trying to get around the foreknowledge of God and the election of God, and they deny those doctrines. And so they say, well, God never intended that a man should be in hell, but you need to be very careful about what you say. And that's because God knows all the consequences. God knew what Satan's rebellion would yield. He knew what Satan would do, and he knew that there would be a multitude of men who would follow him in his rebellion. And so when he created hell, he knew that it was going to be populated with men also, with people who would not believe in Jesus Christ. And there may be someone in here today that you refuse and you keep on refusing to put your faith in Christ. And you need to know this, hell is a place that's been created for you for your punishment. And God will send you to that place. Now God is the one who created hell. He knew it would be populated with men. Why, why do people think that God is just suddenly shocked to find out that not everybody's going to believe in Him? It's like it came as a great big surprise to God that when He created the world that Adam fell. Or that people are not going to believe. They're going to follow Adam's rebellion too. It's like it's a great shock to them. But we ought to see that with the creation of hell, God knew that all people were not going to be saved. I mean, don't you think that God knew the names of every single person that would be in hell as much as He knows His people that are going to be in heaven? God knows that. So a new purpose wasn't given for hell as an afterthought because of Adam's sin. No, God knew what was needed. And don't you think that He knew that Cain would be the first person that would be destined to that place? Certainly God knew that. Such things, again, are too high for our thinking. But we can't deny them because we just don't understand them. No, we have to believe that God is sovereign Overall, And many people just don't see that. And you know the reason that they don't? Because they're stuck with that overwhelming strong sense, the great desire that they have to shield God from his mistakes. To protect God from all the bad moves that he makes. No, God doesn't need help. Nothing takes God by surprise. Now, another interesting point about Satan's helpers is that some of them are already there. Some of them have already been put into hell. In the fifth message on this subject, I'm going to go into more detail. 
But just remember for now that the ones that are in hell are not in control of it either. They're, they're not the flame keepers either. This is what God says about them in Jude. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of that great day. So these angels are not running hell. They're chained in hell. And they're suffering the torment of the flames. And they're going to stay there until they're brought to final judgment. That's when God's going to call them out of that place where He's holding them and put them into the final place, which is the lake of fire. But before I leave Satan's helpers, there's something else that I want to talk to you about. Uh, Turn to Revelation chapter 9. Have you ever wondered what a demon looks like? Uh, I mean, besides your children. I mean, have you ever wondered what they look like? Uh, Revelation chapter 9 gives us a description at least of some of the evil angels. And they have a horrible appearance when before they were created beautiful. Revelation 9 verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit. And there rose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Look at verse 7. And the shapes of the locust were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five Months. Now, this is talking about the tribulation time, and these are demons that have been chained in hell. And these are very frightening creatures. They have stingers like scorpions. And in that time of tribulation, they're going to be brought out of or let loose from the torment that they're in. And for five months, there are going to be millions upon millions and millions of these evil angels that will escape that place and they will sting People. Now, that, this is very gruesome stuff. These are, this is unbelievable stuff. It's in the supernatural world. And whenever you decide that you're going to help Satan, this is who you have as your allies. These are horrible creatures, and they are demons. And did you know this? We talked about it last week, too, that there are millions, even billions of them that are loose right now. It's not just that they're all chained. No, some of them are loose now. And this is why you need the whole armor of God to fight the devil. The devil's not a schoolboy that runs around in cute little knickers. No, the devil is a fierce, raging lion. And his demons are like scorpions. Now, we read that, but I'd like to call your attention to another interpretation of Revelation chapter 9. What I've just given you is how we interpret it according to the premillennial position. But there are others that interpret Revelation in a different way, and some of them are very, very good Bible expositors, and they look at the Scriptures a little bit differently. Now, last week I, I mentioned an evil angel named Apollyon. Now, if you look at verse number 11 in Revelation 9, it says, And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, 
whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. There are some who say that Apollyon is the same as Satan. Apollyon and Abaddon are both names that mean destroyer. And uh, I don't really have a lot of problem with that interpretation. Satan could be the one that's meant. But I actually think that Apollyon could very well be one of the principalities and powers and one of those rulers of darkness that we read about in our text in Ephesians 12. Well, there's a, a hierarchy of evil angels, just as there are good angels. And Apollyon may be Satan's most trusted helper. Now, the point that I'd like to make about the other interpretation of Revelation is that it was very popular to equate Apollyon with Mohammed. Now, I want you to keep that quiet because the last thing that I need is some crazy jihadist to come knocking at my door. But the venerable John Gill was of that opinion. And he read about these locusts in Revelation chapter 9 and he took them to be followers of Islam. And the evil angel over them is Mohammed. And he equated that passage to millions and millions of Muslims that overran Europe from the 7th to the 18th centuries. And they killed people by the thousands upon thousands as they overran Europe and Asia. Now, it's it's quite interesting when you compare that to what goes on today. Uh, You think about what happened just this past, uh, just these past few days in Paris, how terrible that is. And I find it quite interesting to think that if John Gill is right, our government is telling us to make friends with the devil. And he's telling us to invite demons into our country who will build a mosque near you. So I, I don't think that Gill was very concerned about being politically correct when he said it. So I don't think that we should have a problem saying that our president and our chicken congress is telling us to respect demons when we are to respect Muslims. And you say, well, preacher, how can you say things like that? I mean, that's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? Well, I just refer you to the Old Testament because I'm not saying anything different than the prophets did in the Old Testament when they preached about the followers of Baal and of Ashtoreth and of Chemosh and of Molech. I mean, what's the difference? Anything that opposes Christianity, folks, is a doctrine of devils. It's a religion of demons. But you forget I said that. Well, we're, we're, we, we've got to be politically correct Bereans, don't we? So we need to invite demons in for a chat. Some of you are flirting with them already anyway, so that's okay. But going back to Satan, Satan is not in charge of hell. And Satan is not the one who condemns people to hell. Don't, don't believe what people tell you that Satan is the one who sends people to hell. Satan does not send people to hell. God sends people to to hell. Now, it's true that the devil is happy that you would go to hell, but he never sent anybody there. And if you want to really blow your mind, think about this, that God is ultimately the one who sends people to hell, but you also send yourself to hell. When you reject Christ as Savior, when you turn your back on Him, what does He do? He tags your toe for death in hell. You reject Him and hell's the place that you're going to go. God just accommodates your choice. Jesus is the one who is in charge of hell. Did you know that? Jesus is in charge of hell. God has committed all judgment to the Son. And when you make that choice to refuse Him, that's where you'll go. You'll go to hell. So you need to remember what the Scripture says. God is very angry about sin. God hates sin. God hates the wicked. 
Some people say, well, no, God doesn't hate the wicked. God just hates sin. I'm, I'm sorry, but the Bible says God hates the wicked. This is what he says in Romans chapter 9. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Jacob stands for the righteous, Esau stands for the wicked, and you can make of that whatever you want. That's what it says. For Psalm chapter 7 says, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword, he hath bent his bow, and made it ready. Made it ready for what? Punishment. To send people to hell who don't believe in him. So if you align yourself with Satan and you won't turn then God will treat you as He does him. God rejected Lucifer and He will reject you and you'll go to the same place of torment. So Satan is not in hell now. Well, if he's not in hell now, where is he? Several places in Scripture tell us where he is. Let me take you to one of these. Turn your Bible to Job chapter 1. Where is Satan now? We looked at this Scripture last week and we used it to prove that Satan was created by God. And now I want to look at it once again to see where is Satan. Where is Satan right now? He's not in hell, so where is he? Job chapter 1 and verse number 6. Job's right before Psalms if you can't find it, okay? Job chapter 1. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan... Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Now there's our answer. Where is Satan? Can you find him there? Let me give you another hint. Look in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. So is Satan stoking the fires of hell? No. He's as free as a bird. He doesn't want any part of hell. Where is he? Walking to and fro on the earth. Walking up and down in the earth. And so he spends most of his time right here. God asked him another question. Have you considered my servant Job? Oh, yes. Satan had taken notice of Job. He had considered Job. Satan was anxious to get at Job, but what he could never do was penetrate that armor that Job was wearing. Job resisted all of Satan's advances. And he was such a righteous man that he prepared to fight evil even before it happened. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse number 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Well, Job wanted no part of contending with God because he hadn't taken time to contend with the devil. And so he offered sacrifices just in case. He protected himself and his family just in case they had sin. So Satan saw that kind of resolve, and he saw that he couldn't penetrate that kind of righteousness. And so he accused God of putting a hedge around uh, Job, a hedge of protection, so that Job was impenetrable. 
And do you know that we actually do have a hedge like that? Are you aware of that? We do have a hedge about us if we are believers in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter wrote. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You are kept by the power of God through faith. Now what that means in the original language is, the meaning is, you have been garrisoned by the power of God through faith. Or what you could say is that God has built a faith fort around you. Faith is your fort. And it's that faith in God that keeps Satan away from you and it kept Satan away from Job. Now Satan was mistaken about Job. He thought that Job served God because he was healthy and wealthy, and he served God because God kept giving him things. So Satan, folks, was the first Joel Osteen. He was the first health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. And he said, these, these things are Job's God. Take those things away from him, and he'll never serve the Lord God. And the prosperity preachers tell you the same thing. Serve God in order for health, wealth, and prosperity. Is that what Job did? No. God said to Satan, you take Job. You take everything that he has. Take away his family, take away his wealth, take away his health. Job is mine and he will serve me. And so Satan did it. He took it all away. And God proved that faith protected Job. His faith was not in his possessions. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And let me tell you something. Do you know what will keep Satan from your door? How can you keep from being rejected, being rejected by God? It's by having faith in Him. Satan is walking up and down in the earth. He is on the loose. He is on the prowl. And he will attack you. And if you're going to fight him, you must have the integrity of Job. You must live in righteousness. You must resist the devil through the power of God. The devil is no match for God. And you're no match for the devil. He's beautiful. He's wise. He's powerful. He's efficient. He's crafty. He's all of those things, but he is no match for faith in God. Consider that. Have faith in God. God rejected him. He has no power to take anyone to hell. He has no power to keep anyone out of heaven. He couldn't root God off of his throne, and he never will, and he can't take you away either. Not as long as you trust in the living God, who is the ruler of all. Now, before I stop, and I am ready in just a moment, just one more note. Did you see in the book of Job that Satan appeared before God? Satan appeared before God. Satan went back into heaven. Now, Satan does not live in heaven, but God has allowed him access back to heaven for a time. For a time, he's able to go back there. You know what he does? What's he been doing all this time? Same thing that he did to Job. Same thing he did. He went and accused Job before God, and that's what he does with you and me. He goes before God and he accuses us and he says, those people are not going to serve you. You just wait. You just wait long enough, God. Those people are not going to serve you. And then he comes back to the earth and he tempts us to prove that he's right. The question is, is he? Is he right about that? Is what he told God right? These people are not going to serve you. You just let me have them for a little while. 
and I'll show you they won't serve you. Is he right? Oh, I wonder about that. Well, Satan's hot on your trail right now. Do I need to ask you, what were you doing last night? What did you do last week? What, what are the, if I were to ask you to list your activities over the past week or the past month, what kind of things would we find there? Would we find that Satan has been right all along? These people are not going to serve God. They spend more time with the devil and with his friends and with the people that worship Satan, so to speak. He, they spend more time with them than they do in prayer and reading their Bible. And they spend more time with Satan's family by watching the things that he wants them to watch and talking the way he wants them to talk and doing all of those things. They're not going to serve you, God. Is he right? And you need to ask yourself that question. Whose God is your God? Who are you serving? Is it the Lord God or is it Satan? Let's don't prove Satan right. Let's don't prove him right when he accuses us before God. Let's resist him with all the integrity that Job resisted him. Have faith in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, even though we're looking at the bad side of this, looking at Satan, yet we can draw out of it strength. We can draw out of it the power of God. We can draw out of it the resolve that we need to have to fight this evil nemesis. Lord, I do pray that you give us that strength every day. And may may we as Christians, before we enter into any activity, that we ask ourselves, are we doing what God would have us to do? Is this what God wants? Is this person that I fellowship with, is this person who is my friend or whatever, is this one that God would have me to be with? Is this activity that I do one that God would have me to do? And Lord, if it's not, help us not to prove Satan right. We claim to be people of God. Help us to live as people of God, to be holy and righteous and just and to exalt Jesus Christ as we have been recreated in Him to do. Lord, bless your people. Strengthen us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you are aware that there are very, very good things in the Bible? Did you know that? Sometimes listen to me preach, you might not think that. But there are very, very good things in the Bible. But did you know that the Bible spends more time talking about the other side of things? It spends more time talking about evil and bad things. And if you read the epistles, they all have sections that deal with what you should not do, what you should be looking out for. They give praise to God, but then they come up with all of these things that say, boy, you better watch out. You better guard yourself. You better be very careful because Satan is after you. And Satan will get you to turn to evil. And if you're not careful, you'll do it every time. And you know something? You know that's true already. You know the struggle that you have with him. Why do you ignore him? Why do you act like it, does, it isn't there? It is a fight, folks. We are in that fight. And all these bad things are in the Bible to warn us about it. So if you complain about me, you're preaching messages about Satan. Well, it's because I have to. The Bible talks about him. We need, we need to deal with him. The Bible talks about him, so we've got to deal with it. And you say, oh, well, but you talk about these other religions and you talk about them and what they do. Doesn't the Bible do the very same thing? It warns against false prophets over and over and over and over again. It's the whole story of the Old Testament, it seems like. You get in the New Testament, Paul and James and Peter, and the Bible just goes on. Christ Himself just goes on talking about all these people that are teaching a lie. You've got to know about that too. We're going to study some of that on Sunday nights, actually, as we're studying our 
Living for Jesus series, we get into living by maturing. And that's telling, being able to discern between who's telling truth and who's telling lies. That's part of what the Bible tells us we've got to do too. It's all part of it. Don't be angry because I preach about the devil, preach about hell, preach about sin. Just get right with God. And when you get right with God, you like those things because you know who your great protector is and that's where the good part comes. You know who the one is that's taking care of you. If you're not saved today, we want you to get saved. We want you to know Jesus Christ because there is a hell that is coming. There is a judgment day that is coming. We want you to be saved. And I do hope that you'll trust Christ as your Savior. And then if you are a Christian, we want you to live for Christ so you can influence others for Him. As I said, you're not an island. You're not by yourself. You influence people every single day by the things that you do. Don't be a Christian that turns people away from the living God. And you can do it if you don't live for Him. I invite you, turn your life over to Him. You can come today and talk to me here. You can talk to someone, the people in the back, back there. Anybody here who's a member of Brian Baptist Church is willing to help anybody see the light of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.